Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith. G'day, thanks for joining us. My name is Nathan. I'm the lead pastor of LifeGate Church. And I have a message entitled for you today, The Uninvited Guest. We're going to pray, then we're going to dive in. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to gather with our families, in our homes, around computers and screens. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us today, give us ears and hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start by sharing a story with you about an uninvited guest that happened to Michelle and I. We were in our first year of marriage. We were living in a little house, a little battle axe house. We had the house at the back in Reesby, up near Reesby McDonald's. We're renting and we're paying $210 a week. I know it's cheap <laughs> back in uh, 2005. It was a great place for us. And uh, one of the things I decided to do was to put on a romantic emphasis, romantic picnic meal for my wife. And so I organized the food and the drinks and I told her about it. I said, hey, uh, tomorrow night I'm going to organize a picnic dinner for you, Michelle. It's going to be romantic. And she was really looking forward to it. So I got out the picnic rug and all the food and all the drinks. And I said, okay, Michelle, let's eat. And I invited her out and we sat down. And as we sat down, we had an uninvited guest come up the driveway. And he was there to deliver something to us. Now he was a man who was about 15, 20 years older than us. And he was at our wedding. And he started to talk. And I got up and started to talk. And he kept on talking and talking and talking. I was supposed to be having a romantic dinner with my wife, but I was having this conversation. And in that conversation, I started to have these feelings of, oh dear, I feel really bad, compassion. I felt feelings of compassion for this man. He was a single guy, not married. He, he's come to our wedding and maybe he's seen us as newlyweds and, it's, and he sees what he wants in his life in us. And he was on his own and I felt bad for him. And then I made a really big mistake. I said to him, hey, would you like to have dinner with us? Now, the compassion side of me says that was the right decision to make, but the romantic side and the wife side, well, that wasn't um, such a, a, a great decision. Um, so he ate with us, we talked, and eventually he went home. And, and later that night, my uh, gracious wife said, maybe you should have said to him, um, I'm about to have a, a romantic dinner with my wife. Do you mind if I ask you to leave and do it gently? And that would have been a wise thing to do. There's a story about an uninvited guest. Well, today I want to share with you an, another story from Luke chapter 7, verse 36. A story in the Bible where they have an uninvited guest. The context is that there's a Pharisee named Simon who's heard about this Jesus, who's met this Jesus, and he wanted to check him out. Now, to be a Pharisee was a big deal at the time. If you're a Pharisee, you were highly respected in the community. People looked up to you and your role was to teach people about God. Now, at the time, there was no separation of church and state. So if you were a religious leader, you were the community's leader. So they had a huge amount of influence and a huge amount of respect. And so this Pharisee named Simon, who wants to check out who Jesus is, invites Jesus to his home. While they're reclining at the table and eating dinner and uninvited guest turns up, a woman who's described as a sinful woman. And she comes and stands at Jesus' feet and starts to weep. 
Then she bows down and washes Jesus' feet with her, with her tears. She most likely unbundles her hair and then uses her hair to wipe Jesus' feet, takes the alabaster jar of perfume that's most likely around her neck and pours perfume on Jesus' feet and then goes on to kiss his feet. At this, Simon the Pharisee says, he cannot be a prophet. Remember, he's there to check out who Jesus is. Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he teacher? And by those moments, he says, no, he can't be a prophet because if he was a prophet, he would know who's touching his feet. At that, Jesus then tells a parable, a story, about two people, one person who'd owed a big debt and a person who'd owed a small debt. And Jesus says to Simon, which one of these people, if their debt was was paid for or forgiven, who would love more? And Simon replies, the one with the bigger debt. And then then Jesus declares to this woman, your sins are forgiven, and that is because of your faith in me. An incredible passage of Scripture. Let's, Let's have a look at this and read it together. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. An incredible event, an incredible story in the life of Jesus. Now, as we look at this text, as I want us to look specifically at the our different characters in this story. I want us to look at Simon the Pharisee, the woman, Jesus, and the other people sitting at the table. And I want us to ask the question, am I like this? But before we do that, I want to give you some more context around this dinner and what was happening at the dinner, because there's stuff that happened at this dinner that wouldn't normally happen today. And so I want to give you a bit more understanding around this text. I want to pull out five things to help you understand it more. The first thing I want to pull out is around the seating. Now, um, a few hundred years ago, Leonardo da Vinci painted this picture of the Last Supper, and it has Jesus and his disciples sitting at a table. Now, the problem with this picture is that's not how they did it back then. It was more like this, where people would lay on the ground with their left shoulder on the ground, and they would use their right hand to lean over, take the food, and put it in their mouths, and drink in their mouths, and have conversation, have cushions around them. That's how they would sit at the time of Jesus and the servants would walk around them all and put the food on the table for the guests to eat. Now, knowing this information makes much more sense about this woman coming and weeping and wiping her feet, Jesus' feet, with her hair because Jesus' feet were sticking out like everybody else's feet. She had easy access to Jesus' feet. That's the first thing I want to point out. The second thing I want to point out is around how guests were honoured. And Jesus talks about it. Now, you didn't have to do this if someone came to your house. But if you really wanted to honour a guest, what you'd do, you'd have a bucket of water at the door and then a towel. Because they didn't have tar roads or cement footpaths like we do today. Everything was dirt. And you walk across dirt dirt, um, floors, um, dirt roads with sandals on and your feet were filthy. So if you wanted to honour someone, you'd have a bucket of water where they'd wash their feet and then wipe them with a towel. Then as your guests would come, you'd kiss them on the cheek as a way of honouring them. And then you'd get oil, it's a a scenting, smelling oil that you put on their head as a way again of saying, this person's important, welcome to my house. 
Now compare that with what happens at Simon's house. Jesus says, you didn't do any of those things to me, Simon. But this woman, she didn't get a bucket of water. She used her tears. She didn't get a towel. She used her hair. She didn't kiss me on the cheek. She kept kissing my feet. She didn't use oil. She got perfume, something so valuable to her, in an alabaster bar and poured them on my feet. And she did it as a way of honoring me, passionately, extraordinarily honoring me. Contrast between how the Pharisee treated Jesus and this woman treated Jesus. The third thing, great question is this. How did the woman get into the dinner? How did she get into the Pharisee's house? That was a question I had, and I went digging, and I, and I didn't know the answer. So I checked out some of the, the commentators, and one of the commentators said, she must have snuck in when someone wasn't looking. Now, I don't know if that's right, and the, the, the Scripture doesn't tell us, so, so we're guessing here. But I read another commentator, and another commentator said that at the time, that religious leaders or teachers like, like Pharisees and people like Jesus, when he was at a house, they would have their invited guests, but then they'd leave the doors open for people who wanted to come and sit around the outside of the room and listen to the teaching and the wisdom of the religious leader of the teacher at the time. So she may have been one of the people that came and sat and then at the opportune time went and sat at Jesus' feet. Maybe. We're not told. We don't know. But somehow she ends up in the house. Four, when was the woman forgiven? Now, a, a simple reading of the text, you might think, Jesus was forgiven when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. But again, reading the commentaries and reading a little bit deeper, it seems that this woman had an encounter with Jesus before the dinner. It seems that she must have met him on the road somewhere, listened to his teaching, put her faith in Jesus. And because she put her faith in Jesus, Jesus said to her, your sins are now forgiven. And what happens is actually an act of worship that this woman does. Because she has been forgiven much, she's now choosing to honor him in, in, in what she does for Jesus. Let me show you why I think that's right. In, in verse 40, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. And then Jesus tells us the parable. Two people owed money to a certain money lender, one owed him 500 days' wages, the other 50 days' wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I, su I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. So it seems here that Jesus is saying, because of how this woman is loving Jesus, passionately honoring, serving him, she has been forgiven for what she's done. We also see it also in down in verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. It seems like this forgiveness happened before and what she's doing here is an act of worship. But then what do we do with verse 48? But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. What do we do with that? Well, it's just like me telling you, if you're a Christian today and you're watching this message and you've committed your life to Jesus, you've asked him to forgive you, I can declare over your life, your sins are forgiven. Not because you made that decision today, but because you made it a week ago or a month ago or 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Because of that decision, I can declare over to you today, your sins are forgiven. And that's what I think Jesus is doing. You made a decision in the past and today your sins are forgiven. That's the fourth thing. 
The fifth thing I want to bring you is this. How could Jesus forgive sins? In verse 49, it says, The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? What a great question. If Jesus was just a man, he had no ability to forgive another person's sins. But if he's God, well, then Jesus has the ability to forgive sins. And when he says to this woman, you are, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is saying to the people at that table, I am God. Now, you might also think, well, how did, well, who paid for the sin? Because we're told throughout Scripture that sin deserves death. And what they did, they sacrificed animals and goats to die on behalf of people's sin. Well, who, what died? Who died on behalf of this person's sin? Well, the answer to that is Jesus. Jesus died in the next year or two. We don't know exactly when this was. When Jesus went to that cross on that Good Friday, he died for the sin of the world, the sin of the past, the sin of the present, and the sin of the future. The past was this woman's sin. The sin of the present were the people at the time who were right there at the cross, and the sin of the future is my sin and your sin. Jesus has made a way for our sin to be forgiven if we put our faith in him. So there's some things I want to bring you around this text. There's a fifth thought. How could Jesus forgive sins because he's God and it's through his death? There are five things I wanted to give you around this text. Now what I want us to do, that was the knowledge part. That was about explaining it to you. Now I want us to get real. I want us to get real and then take action. And I want us to ask yourself this question. Ask yourself the question, am I like this? As we look at Simon, Jesus, the Pharisees, The woman and then the other people sitting around the table, I want you to ask yourself the question, am I like this? The first person I want us to look at is Simon, the Pharisee. And I've entitled him Judgmental Simon. Judgmental Simon. I want to look at verse 39. In verse 39 it says this, When the Pharisee who invited him, Jesus, saw this, saw the woman at his feet weeping, pouring the perfume the hair, the kissing, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. In that moment, judgmental Simon made two judgments. The first judgment he made was around the woman. And he saw her actions, and based on her actions, He made a decision about who she was as a person. Because she was most likely a prostitute and therefore a sinner, she's done all these horrible things, therefore she's a sinner and she's written off and and you should have nothing to do with her. He didn't see her as a person. He didn't see the pain that led her into this industry. He didn't see the hurt or the why or maybe the abuse that's happened in her life. He simply saw her as a sinner and said, useless, worthless, I have nothing to do with her. He wrote her off, judgmental. The second judgment that Simon makes is around Jesus. Jesus um, Simon had Jesus at his house to work out, is he just a teacher, just another one of those teachers, or is he a prophet? And when he saw Jesus allowing this woman doing that to his feet, Simon made another judgment, just another teacher, just another one of them. And he wrote him off. He looked at what he did and he made a decision about who he is. Now let me talk to you a little bit more about judgment. Now when I talk about judgment, I'm not talking about when you 
look at someone's behavior and say, wow, that's not cool. And you make a decision to say, I'm not going to be like that. Or if you see a brother or sister in Christ who you have a relationship with, doing, making some poor decisions or poor behavior, going up and tapping them on the shoulder, that's, that's actually a good thing. And the apostle talks about doing that. When I talk about judgment, I'm talking about when we write people off. Let me give you a definition of judgment, my, de- my definition in this context. Judgment is when we make a decision about who someone is based on what they do. That woman is, is, is being in the sex industry, therefore she's a sinner, therefore she's no good. Friends, there is a big difference between who someone is and what they do. And when we judge, we put what they do and who, I, who they are together and we write them off. But the reality is they are very, very separate things. For people who make poor decisions are still loved by God. People who make poor decisions are still valued by God. Why are they valuable? Because people are made in the image of God. Now, is it it marred? Yes. Does it look like it was in the garden? No, because sin has entered the world. However, we still have glimpses of, of God's image in us, that we have the ability to think, dream, choose, be in relationship, plan, dream, all these things that, 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 that God can do that, that we carry as we are made in His image. People are valued because they're made in the image of God. People who make poor decisions are also loved by God. God loved them so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die for them. That is the, that is the extent of God's love. That he loves me and you and we all make bad choices. He loved us so much that he died on the cross for us. That is the extraordinary lengths of God's love. Because God sees us separate from what we do. He sees the value in people and he separates us from what we do. I wonder if you like this. I wonder if you like judgmental Simon. And you will know if you are, if you're someone who calls people names. That person is a, because of, what you, because of what they've done, you're getting who they are and what they've done and putting them together. You call people names or you reject people. You make a decision on people and you want nothing to do with them. That's judgmental. You see yourself better than others. That's, again, judgmental. And if you're judgmental and, and you can relate to this, friends, this is not what God wants for your life. This is not God's best and it's something that we need to change. Now, we're in this uh, COVID season and it's interesting what people say about others who have different opinions of them. In our church, we've got all the different opinions. We've got them all. I've talked to different people. People who don't want to wear a mask, don't want lockdown, don't want the vaccine. To people who think everything's, um, they, they want all those things and they don't want to leave their homes. And, and we have all these different views. And people put their views on Facebook and it's interesting to see how people respond. And often people write people off from that end or that end or somewhere in the middle. They, they make comments about who they are based on what they think, and their decisions. But I want to say this. Whatever you think about the COVID and the vaccine and the mask or staying home, that's your opinion. And it's important as Christians that we love you no matter what you think about these issues. We may not agree with you, and that's okay, but we're called to love you and value you because who you are as a person. Let's not be like Simon, who is judgmental. The second thing, that's judgmental Simon, the first thought. The second thought, the uh, second person I want us to look at, the, per- the second person I want us to ask ourselves, am I like this, is the forgiven woman. Notice I haven't called her the sinful woman. Rather, she's the forgiven woman, for that's who she is. 
Are you like this person? A person who sees their failings, their sin, their weakness, and they run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I need your forgiveness, and Jesus forgives you. Now, if you're a Christian, you can relate to this. You can say, yes, I did that. And the first step in becoming a Christian is recognizing that we haven't lived the life that God wants us to live. It's to recognize our lack and goes to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know who you are. Please forgive me. And Jesus accepts us and gives us that forgiveness. You can relate to that. But there's also something else that we see in this story. We see this, this forgiven woman passionately honoring Jesus passionately worshipping Jesus. You know, this woman walks into this home of the Pharisee. We're told that they knew her. She was the local prostitute that people walked past, that people scoffed at, necessarily called names to, looked down upon. And she walks into that house, knowing that people looked down upon her, knowing these people had negative things to say about her. But, her worship for Jesus, her desire to passionately honor Jesus, that was much more important than the voices and the thoughts of the people around them. It was more important than what they thought of her was her passion for Jesus. And I wonder if you can relate to this. I wonder if you like this. Are you a person who's willing to stand up in the workplace, in the university, in your organization, in your friendship group, wherever it is, and say, I'm a person who belongs to Jesus? That's someone who's passionate, passionate about worshiping Jesus. Are you someone who, when your friends and the media and the world tries to lead you astray and tries to take you down the path that, that's not honoring, are you one of the people that says, no? I'm not going to get involved with that because I'm going to choose to honor God with my life. That's what it looks like to passionately serve Him. Are you someone who chooses to love people when it means sacrificing of your time, sacrificing of your resource, sacrificing of other relationships sometimes so you can love people that God has put in your world? Friends, that is passionately worshiping Jesus. Are you willing to die to your own desires and choose Him, friends, over all other things? That is a life of passionately honoring Jesus. That is what this woman did. I wonder if you can relate to that. Are you like this woman who was so passionate about Jesus, she chose to say no to the rest of the world. She didn't care too much about what others thought and chose to honor Jesus with her life. I wonder if you like that. The third person I'll look at in this story is Jesus, and I've entitled him The Unwavering Jesus. The Unwavering Jesus. I wonder how you'd respond if you were at a party. And it's a local party in the community and you had lots of friends there who knew you and knew the community and in walked a woman who's known as the town prostitute. Someone who's seen on the street, people drive past. And this woman comes to the party and she makes a beeline for you. And she gives you her attention. How do you feel in that moment? I reckon you feel super, super uncomfortable because you're concerned about what everybody thinks about you in that moment. But that's not what we see in Jesus. Jesus was unwavered by the opinion of Simon, the opinion of the other guests. He was not interested in what they thought or how they felt about him because he knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. He knew the attitude of this woman and her attitude was to worship him. And, she, and he was totally okay with that. 
He was unwavering in what he believed. He was unwavering in his decision-making. He was not going to be influenced and led by the voices and the opinions of others. I wonder if you like that. I wonder if you are unwavered when the world says Christianity is archaic and irrelevant for today. Does that rock your faith or do you stand firm? When you go through the difficulties of life, do you allow those difficulties to rattle your faith, change your thinking about God and the Bible because your experience doesn't match up with what the promises of God are in the Scriptures? Does that shake you or do you stand firm and believe the promises of God? When you're challenged in life about what you believe, do you bend to the challenge and, and back down from what the Scripture says or do you stand firm in what the Scripture says? When people you know give you a hard time with their words because you're a Christian, do you back down or do you stand unwaveringly like Jesus did, believing what you know is true? I wonder if you can relate to Jesus. Are you someone who is unwavering in what you believe? Are you like that? Do you stand firm when the persecution, when life comes at you? Do you stand firm in your faith? I want to, so far we've looked at these uh, three different people in the story. Judgmental Simon, the forgiven woman, and the unwavering Jesus. I wonder if you are like one of these characters. If you find yourself in judgment, judging others, well, that's an opportunity. This is an opportunity now for you to recognize that. Come to God in prayer and say, God, I'm sorry. It's wrong. Help me to see people as valuable and loved in your sight not by what they do. If you're someone who's forgiven, let me ask you, is your worship for Jesus passionate? Are you willing to honor him with your whole life? It's an opportunity right now to reflect on that. And we look at the unwavering Jesus. Do you bow to the opinions of the voices of others or do you stand firm in what you believe about what the scripture says and what the scripture says about you? I want to give you 30 seconds to process this, to pray and to think. And to ask yourself the question, am I like this? Do that now. Father, I pray that you change us. That we'll, that we'll be more like this forgiven woman. And not only forgiven, but passionately worshipping you. That we will be unwavering in our faith. When the voices of the world come against us, we would stand firm on the promises of Scripture. In who you've called us to be, our, our identity in you, we would stand firm in that. And if we find ourselves to be judgmental, Father, that we would choose to see people as people loved by you, valuable, and not as people, not as what they do, but rather who they are. In Jesus' name, amen. There is one more group of people in this story, and it's the fourth group, and it's the, on and it's the onlookers. Look at what's said about the onlookers in verse 49. It says, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives this? The other people sitting at the dinner table said about Jesus, who is this? And I wonder if that's what you're asking this morning or asking today as you watch this. Who is this? Maybe you've hung out with some Christians for some time. Maybe your friend has invited you to watch this message. And you're checking out Christianity. Maybe you've been going to church for a while, watching our online church for a while, and you're still trying to work out who Jesus is. Let me tell you, that's an amazing journey that you're on. Let me tell you that Jesus loves you. 
Jesus loves you so much that he died on a cross for you. That when he died on that cross, he took the punishment that you deserve for your sin upon himself. He rose from the dead to be the first one had risen from the dead, now seated at the right hand of the Father and gives eternal life to everybody who believes in Him. And when you commit your life to Him, He forgives your sin. He gives you a new identity. He gives you a fresh start. He gives you a relationship with God. He gives you a new family, which is the body of Christ. Friends, Jesus is the most incredible person who's ever existed. He is God in flesh. He's the one who is worthy of all our worship. And if you're watching this and you've been an onlooker, let me encourage you today to make today the day you make a decision to follow him. If you'd like to do that, I encourage you to pray this prayer after me. Pray this prayer with me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you just made the most important decision of your life. Just like this forgiven woman, it's now living a life that passionately honors Jesus, and we want to help you do that. I encourage you to click on the prayer tab below, and some will pray with you and connect with you, and not only pray, but help you take the next step in your journey of living a life of passionately honoring Jesus. Hey, it's been a privilege to share with you around this story, around this message today, around the uninvited guest. Thanks for being part of it. God bless you guys. See you again soon. Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith.